Welcome to Regenerative Rising's Elevating Stories, Activating Change podcast. My guest today is Kamal Bell. Welcome, Kamal. I'm Selene Diaris, your host, the founder and executive director of Regenerative Rising. And Kamal is the founder and CEO of Sankofa Farms in Orange County, North Carolina, where he grows leafy greens and other vegetables and also is a passionate beekeeper. And it's not your typical farm. It's both a learning laboratory for students and a model to address food deserts. Welcome. Thank you, thank you, thank you for having me. It's an honor and a privilege to have a chance to talk to you and the beautiful work that you're doing. And I wanna begin with what I think people will find perhaps unexpected is that you didn't grow up in agriculture. I know I didn't. I grew up with the um, I grew up actually in Durham, North Carolina, and I had a passion for outdoors. But um, as far as the um, like the farming background, I didn't grow up working on the farm at all. So here you are, um, not only farming, but farming mm -hmm. with a beautiful purpose and intention. Mm -hmm. I would mm -hmm. love for you to share a little bit about the journey that brought you to this, if you would. Uh, yes, I think for me, it was like my love for outdoors, my passion for wanting to do something that could contribute to helping the black community. And um, I think those two things ultimately led me into farming, just seeing that there was a problem in our community and then how we could address it from our perspective and um, provide a, try to provide a solution that reflects issues that our community faces. So can you say a little bit more about what are those challenges that your community faces? Um, I would say food access is really big. Um, I'm getting a call about a swarm. So I'm like texting the person back, uh, letting him know that like, hey, I want a podcast. Um, <laughs> but just, uh, I can't, I can't, I'm telling, I can't, I can't text. I can't text. I, um, <laughs> I, I think just for us, um, looking at how food does on an intersection of like income, um, like socioeconomic status, um, policy, land ownership, um, what else? Uh, 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 ooh. access, so, mm -hmm. um, yeah, access, policy, economics, education, um, just so many, there's so many different things. I, I can't think of everything on the top of my head, no, but that's fine. And, want, and wanting our farm to reflect those, uh, intersections. And I think once you see a food desert, um, you can like, you driving through it, you can automatically kind of tell our food desert, but you don't see all those other things that build into play, that play into creating. So I wanted the farm to try to reflect those things. I saw we have an education component. That's why we're working on like the entrepreneur aspect and I'm mean, actually being a viable career for someone or a viable job for someone. Um, we do a lot with working with uh, politicians. So I think for us, we just want the farm to reflect that, that those aspects. Right, so I, that's really where that idea of a model comes into play of like something 
that can be replicated in other communities, which I think is so admirable and intelligent to be creating these opportunities for people to come and see what you do. And then mm -hmm. say, because I, I literally was at a conference yesterday and a black woman asked this question, you guys are talking about organic food, but yes, that's probably better for us, but people of color and a lot of people that's like outside their income to be able to buy that kind of food. What are your solutions? And the group didn't really have an answer. So I went up to her afterwards and I shared your farm with her and just said, mm -hmm. you know, this is a model of a possibility. And in Denver, why not? Let's make something yep. like this happen in our community. Mm -hmm. So I just, I'm already advocating you to others as a way to think about this problem and having a empowering solution. Yes, and I think when we talk about like regenerative agriculture, sustainability, even though there really aren't like definitions around those things, I often challenge people to look at it from a people aspect and not from a crop aspect, just simply because we're in this bind now with the food system because we didn't bring the younger generation with us into it. So just for us to think about teaching them ways that are responsible and that aren't so wrapped in into like the system that created it, like the ideals with the system that created it. So I think that it's really good to, to really just center purpose and responsibility and accountability, something that the larger system doesn't really account for. Um, <laughs> It, it center those concepts in trying to bring the youth into the into the farming uh, the farming I want to say industry the farming spectrum. I like that, and you know, so since we're talking about the young folks, let's kind of go deeper into some of the benefits and outcomes that you're witnessing in bringing. And I think you serve in more intentionally young black men uh, to come yep. and be a part of your program. Um, yep. And I also am aware that you also kind of link it into STEM, developing mm -hmm. that more holistic frame of all the different aspects that being really a successful farm person, there are a lot of different things you need to become skillful at understanding and being able to apply and do. Yes, um, I work with Black men, well, young Black men, because that's the language I speak best, that's the experience I know best. So I feel like I, um, I would need help in serving young Black women. So if there's anybody that's listening that wants to take that on, let me know, we get something going. Um, <laughs> but as far as being intentional, is that I, I'm aware that the system has really done a really good job at like this concept of an individual. And in that, what they've done, they've created like this mold of what a young, well, what a person should be, and specifically in our community, what a black man should be. And then once you strive to be that thing, you can't help the collective. You just become an individual. Wow, and yes. the system the system thrives in that. So what I wanted to do is bring more of a communal aspect where um, we look at working together. Like one, our farm manager, he, he pointed out to me one day that like farming shouldn't be done alone. And like days that I'm out here are completely different from the days that when he's here, we get so much work done in this conversation, you can think through things, a different perspective is provided. And so when I wanted to bring in the youth, I want them to form community amongst each other, but we have to kind of be re-educated to do that because 
we are we're taught all the time that we're individuals. So like I'm even heavy on the students. Like, hey, y'all reach out to each other more. Y'all check in with each other more. Y'all shouldn't just only share a bond when you're at the farm. You should share that bond equally outside of the farm as well, so that you all know that you all are assets to each other. That is so beautiful. And I love the wisdom of that identifying this. I agree. I mean, to me, the probably the a couple of the worst ideas that have been kind of you know, continued in society is the notion of separation and hyper-individuality, both being utterly untrue. We need each other and we are not isolated islands of reality. We're each deeply interdependent. And to create that as a lived experience, which I hear that's really what you're trying to cultivate in these young men is the understanding of like, you have brothers you have allies, you have comrades who can be part of your life, both here on the farm and outside of the farm. Yep, yep. And then the STEM component comes in just from not going ultra heavy on it because like anything that, um, too much of anything can be bad. Right. So <laughs> as long as we walk that fine line between like just them going into the STEM field and not going into it from like a, like an individual aspect of like a, like a, uh, an aspect where it can't really help people because you can, you can put people out of jobs with them. And so, but I do think there are certain things on the farm that should be automated. So like just walking that line and being, still keeping that you're in the environment, certain things will change and adapt, but, um, they also will pick up skills that they can take other places. So the farm is the cradle for them, the nest, for them to eventually go off and do the things that they are most passionate about to answer their own callings. But as long as they connect back to helping our community and our people. I love it. You know, and something that arises for me in listening to you is, you know, we're also given, you're also giving them an opportunity to sort of identify more dimensions of their own essence, of their own mm-hmm. capabilities and ableness through this developmental journey they're inside of being a part of the farm community. So someone may suddenly discover they have an aptitude for something they didn't know they had an aptitude for. Yep, yep, exactly. It's more of a, but I think that's where the realizations come from because you're in nature, you're you're closest to the source. So I think that you're gonna receive message differently than if you're in the building somewhere or if you're out like, the middle of an urban environment where it's um concrete it's like they call it the concrete jungle so i think that i think that you're you're speaking to a different part of yourself when you're out in nature and students will naturally be able to uh make that connection because they're out here younger and for a longer time i didn't get out into the environment until my mid-20s they have been out some of the students have been out here since they were in seventh grade and still come to the farm consistently now so i think like not everything is a, is a success story like you still i still like to see um things that are uh, that i would like to see things differently as far as outcomes now but we do know this isn't the end of the road and that they are on their own path of self-discovery as well i love it do you have a story you could share of something that you've watched kind of in a young man who's been part of this journey with you and just seeing something beautiful unfold for him and his experience that you could share? 
Yes, there was a student who we had, um, who we still in the program now, who had been here since seventh grade. And then his senior year, he got a job working at a big company. And when he first got it, I was like, because of the company, I was like, I don't want to see the company today, but I was just looking out like, all right, like, we're going to see. And then he stopped coming to the farm list. And of course, he got off track because he's buying into this idea, into this larger system that doesn't provide outcomes that can help him in his current situation. So then I uh, contacted him and I was like, what are you up to? Like, We, we still were talking throughout this. And um, I said, you see what happens now that you bought into this idea and that you left the farm. Not to say the farm is the same of grace, but this is a place where we saw a lot of increased development with them. And we saw the trajectory change. The trajectory didn't change with the job. It just, it actually went lower instead of actually continuing to go up, I feel like. So mm -hmm. um, we started talking and on the second day back, I uh, we had an order to complete. And I was like, all right, Cameron, you handle this tour, I'm leaving. And he was like, what? And I'm like, yep, you handle the tour, I'm leaving. Um, I'll call you to see how you're doing. You got an hour and 30 minutes with the tour group. This is on you. And he, had, he was forced to give the tour. And afterwards, they were at the tour, they told me, like, this was amazing. Like, this student has a gift. He should be a public speaker, blah, blah, blah. So then um, wow. really tell him, like, tell, helping him with his confidence. Because your confidence isn't um, really uh, supported in a lot of job environments. It's just not. Like, it's not what they do. So after talking with them, I said, you see, what you're able to do, you see your potential, you see how you're, you were able to inspire others, you have to get back on track. So then when I called him last week, he was giving me a list of all the things he's starting to do differently now in his life. And I told him, I said, see, you have the power the whole time. You have to be the architect of your own universe. And you, like, when you go to certain spaces, they take that passion, they take that ability away from you. You have to be in control of that always. Oh my goodness, so, so powerful. And so true. And what an exquisite representation of him having an embodied experience of that, which mm -hmm. becomes so much more real for him as something to reference as he keeps moving forward in his life. Because yep. it's almost like sometimes those moments where we get thrown into an environment that really is sort of sucking our soul away and we don't even realize it. And then to come back into a context or step into a context where we're being nourished, nourished and, and seen and valued, that becomes like this new aha moment, and especially for someone so young yeah. That, yeah. that he's having that to compare in his life. That's, that's like priceless gift. Priceless. It is. It is. And I think that um, as he gets integrated back and more into our system, that uh, next time that he goes off, he'll be well more equipped to uh, handle the, the things that life throws at him. Totally. No, I, I know that to be true. And I'm just, I just want to say thank you for what you're doing because that is just, ah, just makes my heart happy, especially in the moment that we're in now collectively on the planet. There's so much that's heartbreaking and to have a yep. story like this of, you know, human, human care, human connection, community, and, and development of young people, especially, I, you must go to bed with a smile on your face. <laughs> most days. Well, I, 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 mo, I, mo, I try, I try, mo, most days are long, but there, 
like you said, there are a lot of things going on globally right now. So try to smile, go to bed, smile as much as I can. Yes, yes. Well, I wanted to, um, and thank you for sharing that story. Uh, I wanted to speak a little bit about the meaning of Sankofa, the word itself and it's where it's from and what it means because that now after we've just heard the story also has some beautiful relevance to the vision that you have for this, this farm. Yeah, so Sankofa comes out of the Akan language um, out of West Africa and it's actually two words um, put together, but for, um, is also represented by a mythical bird and then also separately by the Dikra symbol. And it means to go back and fetch. And for us, what we're fetching is our history. So I interpret it with the students is, um, we have to remember our African ancestry as we move forward in life. So that's the thing we're fetching is our African ancestry, our contributions. And that's ultimately what we sit, the idea and principle we sit at our farm around. So we want to, like I mentioned before, we want to offer things that are um, directly related to our community and to our people. I, that is a very powerful recognition. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We, we wanna make sure we use our culture and our history to build institutions that directly center us and our needs. Well, you know, you think about what happened to Africans brought to this country and the severance of so much identity and, and family and community and meaning and purpose. And then the length of time for that absence and that not allowedness of being who you truly are. So, so much of what's happening right now around the value of, of black lives and the understanding of this reclamation of identity and a sense of connection, um, you know, I'm a person of uh, European descent and I have that field of connection in my life. And I definitely have drawn on that as something to inspire me. So to see you creating that context and to create that sense of pride and joy and inspiration, I, I love it. I love it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, let's talk a little bit about your work in the academic space because you've also been achieving all sorts of accomplishments um, in your own journey of educating yourself and gathering degrees and teaching. So could you share a little bit about where you are or what you've done so far educationally and how you're utilizing that to amplify your work? So I think naturally that um, I like to teach, but um, as far as like my degree attainment, my undergraduate is in uh, animal industry. Uh, my master's is in animal, uh, well, agricultural education. And I'm working on my degree, my doctorate now for agricultural extension education. But I will say this, that uh, degrees are just certificates in, in theory. Um, I think what gave me, uh, or it gives our, our, like my education value is the fact that we're able to apply it. And I think the education system has gotten away from that. So every step of the way has been theory, but I'm just a person like to apply. So I think this gives my education 
educational background more value, but the educational background didn't give me the ability to do this. That makes right. sense. It that adds does value make sense. To, the, to, the, to the paper, but what we're able to do with our knowledge is what gives uh, the degree the value because something could come out where a university could lose accreditation. And, but I think a lot of the education system is all based on theory. And I think that's what makes, um, I think that's what makes Sankofa special is that it started here and now it's actual tangible place. And I think that's the skill that we try to center around our students is like the practical application of what you're reading and learning. Can you take this concept and apply it to something? Now, not everything has to be that way, but can we apply it to, to something that can help us in the real world? Absolutely. I love that. And I just want to say that um, you're at uh, NC State for your PhD. Yep. Yep. I sure am. I think I shared with you when we first met, like my great, my grandmother was the first woman to attend North Carolina State in, in yep. when it opened yep. its doors to women. So I love that we have that sort of connection in the, in the field um, around, around that institution. So another thing I wanted to lean into are bees, because you were talking about a swarm just a little bit earlier, yep. someone having, so people are coming to you for support around the care of bees. Can you share a little bit about this beautiful program you have of renting out beehives and rewarding people, oh, bless you, with um, Thank you. <laughs> honey, yes, it's allergy season, right? <laughs> It is, and I don't think that thing about honey and allergies works really well. I'm, I, I think it's pollen. I need to take bee pollen. I don't think the honey helps with allergies. I think that I, 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 I agree. Pollen. I've tried I think that I need too. To see science of that. <laughs> it, it does it has not helped me at all. Bee pollen, I've seen some um, good results, but honey, I've not. But um, uh, Lisa have is a way for people who are interested in beekeeping or who want to support Sankofa. It gives them an avenue to support the business. So we allow people to purchase options online um, of um, the Lisa High program. We have three tiers, and then we'll send them weekly or bi-weekly videos on the status of their hive. We're actually getting ready to start that program. I'll probably start recording for that tomorrow and send everybody their videos. Um, also, we, and then in return, they get jars of honey for their participation in the program. Um, we also are starting a beekeeping certification process um, Bear Crop Science provided some funding for us to start an African-centered beekeeping process. So we're gonna be doing that this year as well. And uh, we also have 19 bee colonies. And I'm getting ready to go catch a swarm after this. So we'll have 20 by the end of today. Hopefully wow. the swarm doesn't leave. And uh, we're gonna stay at 20 and we're gonna be selling bees from this point on um, after we get our 20. Well, I'm I'm a big fan of bees and a neighbor of mine has some hives set up high on a rooftop at their house. And my yard is kind of the organic flower food haven for bees. And so right now I have water out for the bees. And I've been just astounded by the number of bees circling around to get water because there's nothing blooming mm -hmm. here in Colorado yet. So there's not even dandelions out. So really it's like water is the only thing they have access to. Can you share a little bit about like why is water so important for bees? Yes. Um, so with water, 
it's like us. It's like hydration. So bees need to us to stay hydrated or to stay cool too, because they can all they can easily overheat. But with uh with what a way people can support them is if you get like a pan, like a shallow pan, and put marbles in it and fill it with water, it'll allow for the bees, like they'll come back to that source if they know there's consistent water there. So I will always um if that's the way if people want to support pollinators, that's the way. That I love that. I just um I we've had some very strong winds here for the last few days, and I came out and found this like horrible massacre of bees who had just gotten blown in the water and had gotten trapped. So I just put large stones that poke up out of the water. So if they do go in the water, they should be able to like hit that rock and be able to crawl out. I had some floating sticks to provide that kind of rescue uh -huh. remedy as well, but um, they, they ultimately sank because they got waterlogged. So yeah, I, I, yeah, just, yeah, yeah. I just did what you suggested, but I, I have a heated water out year round for the birds um, during the winter. And now that the bees are coming out, I've just been so enjoying coming up and watching. You can see this little proboscis that they have that yep. goes into yep. the water. So I don't think a lot of people even think about this. I mean, that's why I wanted to talk about, you know, bees and water and things that like you just offered, things we can do in our yards to make mm -hmm. sure the bees and the butterflies and the birds also have fresh water because you need to clean it and keep it healthy for them too. Yep. 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 You sure do. You sure do. And I think that's a way to really support a way that people can easily support pollinators. I love that. Um, so I'm curious, what are some of your aspirations for this year and onward for what's, you know, in the future for Sankofa Farms? So we're, we're actually getting some, um, climate control greenhouses this year, which I think will really be a great asset to the farm. Uh, we also, um, one of our goals is to harvest every week, to have a consistent harvest going on every week. And we're, we're really hitting that goal. Like I mentioned, we have a farm manager who's been, allowed us to do that. He's been great in helping us get to, like he's actually the reason like the farm has gone from like three or four operable tunnels um, or operational tunnels to seven, which we'll have done tomorrow. Like without him being here, we wouldn't have that. Um, so those have been like our goals, just getting a system of consistent produce, the best stay planted up. So that's been our biggest um, task this year. And we've been able to, we've been able to get that done. We've been able to get that accomplished. Well, let me ask you, what is an operational tunnel for those of us who don't know? Oh, so um, we run, we have cowpole tunnels here. And we run our beds at 30 inches wide, 100 feet long. And we do, um, uh, we're doing lettuce, we're doing 520 heads a bed, or if we're doing a leafy green, like a kale, collard, or a um, chard, we'll do 200 plants per row at 12, at 12 inch space in between each plant. And we'll do, uh, so we'll do, one, we'll do two rows of those, so 200 plants. And for us, we want to make sure that we get about three to four good harvests off of those plants and then we crop them out. And then we don't want to have a bed sitting for longer than a week um, uh, unplanted. So that's that's the system that we're running here. And we're right now probably averaging about like four days per crop out. That's when we get our old crop out and new crop in. So the farm has been expanded very quickly 
and we've been able to have uh, everything planned up. Well, I have enjoyed watching some of the videos you share on Instagram where you've demonstrated ways to support the health of leafy greens, for example. I saw you show like the center of the plant and then the leaves on the outside that you could remove and it just really upped the vibrancy of that plant. Um, so you're not only bringing people to the farm to create experience, you're also teaching all of us more broadly through your social channels. Can you share a little bit about the inspiration you have around what you're doing in the social space? Yes, I think um, we have, well, we have a, uh, one of our business partners, he's our marketing person. And he's the one that like helps us put out the content. Like, all of our reels are shot by him. And then he's helped us like tell the story of San Cobra. So I can grab some of the content, but the video work is most, most likely his. And what we'll do is we will, um, we, we want to market to people who are just trying to get into farming. And we want to show them the basis from where, um, how to scale it. So start off very simple. I don't think your first investment should be a capital until you spend a thousand of dollars. I think your first investment should be a garden bed. Then you work out a system on how to raise crops um, and see if you even have the infrastructure in your, at your in your backyard to raise crops consistently and healthy, and then you can scale up. But we want to really we want we really want people to see how to scale their farm and not waste a lot of money. So you know what you're getting into. A lot of a lot of people have got these. Like we don't people don't put their failure story. I, I do when we fail on Instagram. <laughs> I don't mind it, but typically people don't put when they fail on Instagram. But we don't mind telling that story. Well, I think, you know, sharing the challenges and the successes is so much more realistic because we all know farming is highly dependent on a lot of variables that you don't mm -hmm. have control over. Like, yep. does the rain come? Does it come too much? Is it too hard? Is there hail? You know, is it too cold? Is it too hot? There's a lot of things. Do you all do coverings at any point over those what are you call? What is the word you're using? Is it compost bed or what else? I was um, just a just uh, just a bed. Um, oh, we we do row we do use row covers in the winter when it gets below thirty two degrees. Um, so we we are able to grow all year round here uh, wow. with our capital tunnels and then with our row covers. We can grow um, we can grow our leafy greens year round here. The chart doesn't do too well, but like a kale collar. A lettuce, you can get that through here. That's well, lettuce, not so much anymore because of aphids. But kale and collards, you can get through. That's great. That's really great. And those are really healthy. For they you. are. They are. <laughs> They're like superfood. They're like superfood. Yes. Now, are, are you all running any kind of animals through the landscape at all to improve your soil quality? Or how are you all improving soil quality? We, we, we heavily compost, integrate with our native soil. Um, that's what we use. We don't use all like the atoms, like chicken manure and all those other things that people use. Um, I, I like all the soil amendments. I think our compost is really good quality, and our native soil has what it needs. So we integrate. We have red clay here, which has a lot of is nutrient dense anyway. It just doesn't um, doesn't it doesn't handle temperature fluctuations really well. It holds a lot of water, and then if it doesn't have enough water, it uh, constricts it. It gets hard. But integrated compost with our native soil has given us a result, like very high results. Nice. We have very nice looking, uh, very high quality produce now. Yeah, I've seen pictures of it. And for those who um, haven't, you should check out Sankofa Farms um, Instagram uh, channel. And also you share a lot on LinkedIn as well. 
And you share on LinkedIn as you, right? As Kamal Bell versus. Yes. Single. So I'll, um, we're like working on how to like tell that story because I think a lot of people see me as a farmer, but we do a lot of other things too. So we're eventually going to transition to all of Sankofa's content coming out of Sankofa. And then you see me involved with Sankofa also doing all the cool stuff. Right, right. It's always an interesting quandary when you're building your story and your brand. Is yep. it you as the person or is it the organization? I know I, we've played yep. with that ourselves. It's, I think it's yeah, an yeah, and. It's really, it's really, really. Hard. It's yeah. an and. It's an and because you obviously are a, a central figure in the journey. So your voice is an important voice. And it's also exciting for people to know who you are and see the impact that you're having in this, yep. in this work. And obviously you want the farm to really be a destination for folks so they can engage with the work. And like we were mm -hmm. talking earlier, you know, um, having, I, I'm assuming, do you do tours where people come to like really learn what you're doing to be able to perhaps replicate it in other communities? I think, uh, well, we do have tours. Um, but we're also getting ready to um, offer an immersive learning package that I think will be really viable here. Um, but I think that if somebody wants to do what we're doing in the city, we would probably have to like go there and get a feel from the environment. Because there are a lot of unseen things that we have to do. that are not in a bad way, but like things that we have to consider in order to build up the model. But uh, one of our goals is to take the model to other places. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're also fortunate to be living in the kind of climate that you're living in. Yep. The fact that you can grow year round. I mean, what a beautiful answer to a food desert challenge. Yep. Yep. Is to be able to have consistent produce all the time. So, but we didn't get here like just by like knowing it, it took us about five years to get to this point. And uh, I have a farmer mentor too in the area who, um, who runs this system that we that he showed us? So like it hasn't been like a me thing. Like I just went well, and watched a bunch of YouTube videos, took right, a lot right. of time there, <laughs> and having somebody to help. Like, but now that we know what we know, it, and I'm not going to say we can take this anywhere. I think we can help people build uh, a similar model. Oh, for sure, and I I, I agree with you, and I it, you know it's the beauty that where you are, you have that ability to grow year round. But you know Denver there could absolutely be a program here, especially oh, yeah. if they yeah. could do some greenhouses, you could grow food year round in this yeah, climate. Sure. You know, there's yeah, a lot sure. of options. Um, yep. So I wanted to lean into the, the aspect of uh, the other things that you do that you just referenced briefly. What are some of the other programmatic developments that you have? We do um well youth education farm tours lisa how we do an airbnb that's called bees in a trap which is a um experience where people can learn about bees and then suit up and then go manage a colony we also we also do a um we also do um uh an online version like a digital version of that experience um, we do put a lot of public speaking and conferences and we've done an ad with AT&T and I'm, I might missing stuff, but 
we uh this is like the some of the stuff we do at the farm that's so great so let's talk a little bit about you know going back to the the seeking to be solutional in the food desert issue tell me a little bit about how are you reaching folks in the community that don't have access to fresh food what are some of the ways that you all have begun to create points of access so the, the i think the most strategic thing we've done um outside of bringing the students i think that was that's not like a strategic it's like a, a, a passion thing but it addresses food deserts uh, we work with a distribution here that gets food out to communities affected by food deserts. So we learned very early on it was going to be difficult for us to grow the food and then to drop it off in areas. But partnering with organizations who have similar missions has worked very well for St. Coleman. We can provide a high quality of food to people. So you're able areas. to partner with folks whose mission is to get food to folks who don't have access. So they're coming yep. and collecting from you and then taking that yep. out are is there is it all is it a giveaway or is it is there some you know compensation that happens in that process for the farm yeah they pay for it um i think some people might look at say come like how they're making money but say come business and um that's a common question we get but they they purchase it and they have vehicles that drop it off at people's houses well obviously you are thinking of this as a replicable model. So anything like that has to be able to be self-sustaining. So maybe let's talk a little bit about that. Cause I think that's one of the things that in bless you in farming Thank you. is often thought of as the, the Achilles heel of how do you create sustainable income to keep the work going and growing. So can you share a little bit about the different ways that you're able to hit those objectives as well? Bless your heart. <laughs> yeah, thank you, thank you. It's the pollen. Um, the wholesale model has worked very well for us just because we're able to utilize our, we have other talents, like our farm manager is a, um, a really good musician. Yeah, our, our farmer is like 12, hour, 12 to 15 hours a week. And I'm probably doing about 30 hours a week. So between the two of you, you've got like full-time presence ultimately each week in terms of presence working on the farm. But you're also saying because of the way you're able to share labor, you're also able to cut overhead in terms of having to pay for full-time persons at the moment. Yeah, I don't, I don't, like, I think some people envision the farm as being something full-time, but like, I feel like it's a business. So we want to be able to offer somebody something comparable to like another industry. So I don't feel like it should be a, uh, I don't feel like it should be a, a full time gig for, just because I feel like it, the, the work is very repetitive and then you're at the mercy of mother nature. So for anybody to be out here full time means they have all their eggs in one basket. And as a business, that's a liability. You have to recognize that. So I wouldn't want anybody to have to give up their life and what they're doing for this. Like, it's solely this only. So I think that it's good that it holds you accountable that you have to do other things outside of it to, um, to ultimately, uh, it, gives you that, it gives you that space. Like, it, it gives you that space to pursue your other passions. <laughs> That's great. That's really great. Um, I would like to just invite you if there's something you want to share about the, the larger context, 
your anything you need from the broader community or or aspects of the dream that you have for how this will continue to be a, a service to those who touch it. I think that um, if anybody people really want to support, being able to um, like purchase a Lisa Hive um, as a way to support directly, and you get something from it too. Also, just um, we we're going to keep working on the model until we can take it other places. Like we we like what we do, we love what we do, and we want to look at more ways to help our community and others that uh, resemble the demographic of our community, and, or or and and or affected by food deserts. So it's not just confined to like black it's not like a black issue it just disproportionately affects black people it happens to all people so i want us to be able to help as many people as we can that's wonderful so you can find sankofa on instagram as sankofa farms and are you also on other channels in addition to that or are you focused yep. there uh twitter sankofa farms tiktok sankofa farms Instagram, St. Coval Farms, Facebook, St. Coval Farms, LinkedIn, St. Coval Farms. Um, and that's everybody. That's everybody. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> well, I am so grateful. Bless your heart that it's been a, a heavy pollen day for you. So thanks for hanging <laughs> yes, in here has. with me uh, during <laughs> this time together. But it's been a real delight to spend time with you, Kamal. And we uh, will be excited to continue to stay in connection and follow the evolution of all that you're doing and um, see other ways that we can engage and support. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And um, I hope my sneezing and my like, I'm just like looking, make sure like I'm like in far mode when I'm at the far. So I'm like glancing. Um, I hope we can all make that. I hope you, I hope you all enjoy this episode. I'm sure they will. I'm sure they will. Um, well, this has been Regenerative Rising, Elevating Stories, Activating Change. With me today has been Cabal Bell, who is the founder and CEO of Sankofa Farms in Orange County, North Carolina. And I am your host, Celine Diaris. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs>